I remember my CISSP study, the appropriate term for this is fucked. I thought it was poninated, but fucked is fine to do. Poninated. Poninated. The, the vendors are trying to find the problem space as the problem they can solve. Well, aren't you just f***ing special? Yeah. I'm gonna light this candle. Yeah, let's do it. Alright, here we go. Today is Monday, December 8th, 2014. This is episode 96 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Good evening, Mr. Bell. How are you, sir? I am awesome. I am far better than anybody who works at Sony. Uh, well, lately, not a lot of people are actually getting work done at Sony Pictures. Well, that's true. So I guess maybe they are, well, but then their identity is being stolen, so that's... <laughs> they're un- and they're being threatened. And they're being threatened. And their families are being threatened, so... So yes, this is uh this is our Sony Ponage Poninated Extravaganza. It's true. And and just to be anal, let's be clear, it's Sony Pictures. Sony Pictures Entertainment. Yes. S P E. Because Sony's a big massive conglomerate. Mm-hmm. So just just for the sake of the record. Oh, you're right. That's a good good clarification. That's uh, you know, that's what I'm here for. So uh this is going to depart a little bit from our normal format because I'm not intending to go through article by article. I do have a number of stories in the show notes that that I've uh, been referencing. But my my thought here is I I want to walk through what we know and some of the details based on a number of different reports. And we can talk a little bit about, you know... Uh, what we do and what we don't know, uh, maybe what we can learn from this, uh, which you know ultimately is why we have this this podcast going. So, uh, kind of right out of the gate, uh, one thing I wanted to point it out point out is that you know obviously Sony has been uh, you know that Sony Pictures Entertainment has been beleaguered by uh, hackers, and I use that term loosely. Uh, but I think there's some nuance that gets lost in, in the in the picture that's presented. And you know, we we know, for instance, that they've had a lot of data stolen, and that keeps popping up on the internet. And we also know that they had uh, a pretty significant malware problem that wiped apparently all of their workstations. And uh, uh, one thing I want to point out is there's no apparent linkage between the two. I mean, obviously, it's probably likely that they were carried out by the same actor, but the the malware that everybody's talking about uh, apparently is not related to the theft of data. Correct. So, so yeah. we, we don't actually have any information about how the data was stolen. So that's, that's something that I, I just want to get out right up front. So kind of stepping through it. Back on November 24th, this this whole deal started when somebody posted a uh, a post on Reddit, and it was a picture of what's now become the very infamous splash screen with the the skeleton and the links to the uh, the zip files. 
And lots of discussion ensued, and people downloaded those zip files, and, and I believe most of them contained basically lists of file names. And uh, uh, there, there was an, an assertion that the, the person who posted it got that picture from a friend who said that their computers, uh, every, apparently everybody's computer at Sony Pictures, was not functioning, and they were all uh, sent home or working with pencils and paper. And um, so I'm I'm talking right now from a story that risk-based security posted, and they claim to have contacted the the group who has taken credit for this called GOP. And uh, and GOP has stated that, and by the way, GOP stands for Guardians of Peace for anybody who cares. Uh, they stated that they sold, stole over a dozen terabytes. Now, we'd also heard 100 terabyte in the past. So, again, right. first reports are often bad. That's right. That's right. So, uh, fast forward a couple of days. On November, 22nd, sorry, November 26th, three unreleased movies uh, of belonging to Sony Pictures were, were seeded to torrent trackers. And I don't think it was known at the time, but... Um, uh, some further introspection showed that those were, those were actually being seeded from some Sony PlayStation-related Amazon Web Services, or EC2 instances, which is nice, totally awesome. All right, so uh, December 1st, GOP posted another 20, about roughly 25 gigabytes of data. And uh, again, this was, this was seeded, definitely seeded from uh, AWS, and this, I would say, probably contains some of the most damning or, or damaging, I should say, information and contained about 50,000 social security numbers, 15,000 of which belong to Sony employees. There were 3,000 records of what I believe were Sony employees, and this was everything about them. This was their salary information, some banking information, their health plan electives, um, payroll information, just you, you name it, anything, any telemetry that a company might have about an employee. Apparently, uh, 3,000 employees had all of that swept up in this. So not, not so awesome. And by the way, I think that is actually what spurred a lot of the discussion we saw uh, last week about uh, some of the comparisons between some male... Uh, higher ups and some female higher ups in an, an equivalent position where the male and the female had a different, uh, a pretty significant pay differential. So there's been lots of hoopla about that, and and this is I believe where we also found out that uh, allegedly, not confirmed, right, that the Sony Information Security Department consists of three analysts who report to three managers, who report to three directors who report to one executive director, which is, you know, again, that is, that is uh, what's out there. There has to be more to that story, that I, piece. I, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Let's, let's just put a big asterisk next to that one of, even if that's the case, that there's got to be more to that story to put it in context. I agree. And, and you know, that's, that's one of the, one of the really, damaging things about this is that 
you know, th- this data is being released without context. And so you don't necessarily know what the story is. So it's, it, it may, it may very well be reasonable. You know, the pe- there may be other people in the organization who have that, you know, some kind of infosec type of, uh, you know, r- job role and they just don't report directly. I, you know, you don't know. There's, that's, that's one of the issues we have with, with looking at other people's dirty laundry that's been thrown out into the street. <laughs> it's true. And we'll talk about that later. Yes. So, uh, so moving on, on December 3rd, another just over gigabyte of data was posted. And this one contained a bunch of credentials and, uh, you know, lots of FTP passwords, uh, whatnot. It also contained an inventory of their PCs, uh, Linux and Windows servers. Hey, they had some uh, good inventory management. Good for them. <laughs> That's right. Well, what <clears throat> excuse me? What is not clear is whether that data was compiled by the attackers or by Sony. That I haven't actually heard. So, um, well, well, we know the attackers did some good. <laughs> Uh, inventory management, because we'll talk about that too. Yeah, that, that's right. So, so I think one of the takeaways for me is, uh, if, if you know, if you don't do good inventory management, some somebody else will, and it may not work out well for you. So, anyway, uh, moving on, December fourth. This is the day that the FBI released their flash alert, and there which was, I do want to talk about that a little bit too. Yeah, we'll, we'll absolutely. Get done with the summary, because yeah, we'll circle back on that. Sure. Uh, so there was also some debate because people had a chance to go back and look at the passwords or the credentials that were released the day before. And there were a lot. This was the day uh, of the Twitter headlines about the all of the password files being stored in the password directory. And so there was some, some food fights back and forth between uh, media and, and security analysts as to whether or not the, the attackers actually picked up all of those password files. And essentially, they were Excel spreadsheets and text documents full of passwords. I mean, that's basically what they were. Uh, it, it Pretty much as boneheaded as you, you can get. Uh, but what's not clear is whether they were all consolidated on a file server inside the password directory or if, um, you know, the, the attackers went around and stole it off of a bunch of PCs and file servers. We don't have that context again. So, you know, we don't know. It's entirely possible that this was the handiwork of, you know, a hundred different people who were doing things they shouldn't have been doing. We don't know. So they, again, we just don't know. Uh, it's, I, I think the, the, the context I want to, or, or the thing I want to highlight is that we don't know if that was a sanctioned practice, right? Because sure. I've I've seen a lot of people do a lot of dumb things that violate company policy in the in the sake in the name of of making their job easier. And I I, I think it's important to point that out. You know, can could Sony have done something to make sure people aren't storing their passwords in an Excel spreadsheet? Yeah, I don't know. You know, that's... Uh... Well, this gets into the big topic of how are people being asked for their job? What tools are they being provided? How difficult is the password? Did You know, there are lots of different ways to handle identity management. Yep. And I'm not sort of giving a pass to the folks 
we maintain these files, but that tells me that the infosec department, well, I shouldn't just blame them, that the IT department and their leadership, for whatever reason may be, perhaps it was budget, perhaps it was cultural, did not understand that this was a requirement not being met by the current infrastructure, and the natural reaction was to go down this path. Yep, that's fair. And there is a better way to do it, but you need to know that this is happening, right? And, and <clears throat> ultimately, I would not be surprised if many, many, many organizations have password files hanging out there. Yeah, and that, that's the one thing I hope, I hope to leave everybody with at the end of this podcast is that if you, if, if any, I would say if most any organization is laid bare like Sony has been, you're going to find crazy crap all over the place. And, you know, it's so it's it's real easy to throw rocks at Sony because, you know, here here they are and they've made some dumb boneheaded statements in the past which are really coming back to bite them in the butt right now. But, you know, the reality is if you were, if if you go to any decent sized organization and start inspecting what they have stored on their PC, you're probably going to find questionable stuff. So, at the end of the day, we all take risks. That's right. That's right. All right. So, so uh, go, going back to the uh, what was going on on December fourth, this was also the day that Recode was hopping up and down, saying that it was absolutely North Korea, and that Sony was going to imminently later that day release a statement saying that they had determined that the attack came from North Korea. And indeed, Sony did release a statement later that day, but they basically said, I don't know what the heck Recode is talking about. Note this. We'll be coming back to this. Yes. Uh, and, you know, and, and in, by the way, in, in, in that time frame, there had been lots of other people talking about, oh my gosh, it's probably North Korea because Sony had been working on this movie called The Interview and it was, you know, a, a parody about assassinating the supreme leader of North Korea and obviously that was the impetus for North Korea going off and attacking them and look at the look at all the similarities between Shamoon and uh, Dark Soul and Dark Soul was absolutely you know a North Korea job and so this must be North Korea, so, uh, you know, apparently Recode, I don't know if they were just taking a, uh, you know, taking a gamble, because if they were right, you know, they would have, you know, they would have been on Good Morning America. I don't know what the heck was their motivation for that, but, you know, it was uh, it was an interesting uh, deal, and, and, and since then, North Korea has come out and said, you know, we love what was done. However, it wasn't us. But, you know, whatever. As you would expect a guilty party to say. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, it's, you know, the the, the best part about this is it's kind of like a, you know, if, if it is like that, it's a, you know, it's a, uh, it's a country trying to pretend to be a, uh, a hacktivist group trying to pretend to be a, a different country. You know, it's, it's really... It's really crazy. Lots of lots of misdirection. So, so what you're saying is, you're not saying it was aliens, but it was probably aliens. Yeah, 
I mean, we if it's not North Korea, who else could it be? It's true. Carry on. All right, December 5th, GOP contacted the media again and said, hey, look, watch out for uh, another drop. And indeed, they dropped another 100 gigabytes of new data. And, uh, and again, yet again, it was distributed largely uh, seeded through their Sony's own hacked, uh, apparently hacked EC2 instances. And I say apparently because I'm not sure... If you can call it hacked, if, you know, obviously they had the passwords. I'm guessing the passwords to those EC2 instances were probably in... They weren't hackers. They were undocumented admins. I love that. I loved that that saying. That's That's a really great characterization. Undocumented admins. I'm going to get hate mail over that. Oh, well, that's that's okay. Like we don't get hate mail for you already. <laughs> hey, at least they're listening. That's why we know. That's true. That's true. All right. So, um, so, so, yeah. Uh, any, anyhow, this time apparently it became known and, and popped up on Sony's radar because the, uh, the the data existed only temporarily on the uh, the Sony servers. So. Don't know exactly what happened. Sony's been pretty quiet about this whole thing. And uh, in fact, at some point, people were thinking that the data that was being seeded off of these these uh, EC2, Sony-owned EC2 instances was actually honeypot. You know, they were, they, they weren't, uh, they weren't actually real data, but some people have downloaded it and said, you know, yeah, it's, it's looks like the real deal. And by the way, uh, one researcher, at least one researcher, uh, named Dan Tetler, who goes by the handle at Vis on Twitter, was allegedly visited by the FBI. And uh, he wasn't home at the time, but he said that his wife greeted the FBI at the door and they, the FBI made some comment about illegal downloads. So that is kind of interesting. And I haven't heard anything else about it. I would assumed that we would have heard something by now if that was going to turn into a thing, and it really hasn't. So that kind of takes us up to today. Uh, there there hasn't really been a lot of, um, you know, a lot of new things, I, I guess with one, with one exception. Uh, I believe it was Friday, last Friday, which would have been the 5th also. Uh, that was the day that the attack, allegedly... The GOP sent a threatening email message out to the Sony Pictures employees, or some percentage of Sony Pictures employees, you know, essentially threatening their safety. Um, I don't have the uh, the exact wording they sent, but you know, basically said you know you need to stop aligning yourselves with the uh, you know the heathens at Sony Pictures, and if you don't, then we can't guarantee your safety or your family's safety. I'm paraphrasing. So, not not a lot of extra uh, updates over the weekend since then, um, but there has been quite a lot of discussion about the malware that was distributed and attacked the uh, the, the PCs, and uh, I think it was Kaspersky calls it Destrover, which. I guess you got to come up with some kind of name. 
That's unique. But is there a logo? I don't think there's a logo. Wow. They, f- oh. I, I mean, talk about fail, right? We'll get on that. All right, carry on. <laughs> yeah, there's no logo. That's and for the record, to circle back, because I just looked it up, <clears throat> the email that was sent to Sony employees is really broken English. I apologize. Quote, please sign your name to reject the false of the company at the email address below if you don't want to suffer damage. If you don't, not only you, but your family will be in danger. End quote. There you go. That is a uh, hard hitting <laughs> threats right there. Well, and what's interesting and just to kind of circle back on this is the original sort of screen grab that broke all this also indicated some sort of threat or blackmail. It started with warning. We've already warned you, and this is just the beginning. We will continue to our request be met. And then it goes, we've obtained all your control data, your secrets, blah, blah, blah. If you don't obey, obey us, we'll release data shown to the world. And here's some samples of what we have. What I don't think anybody knows, well, Sony might, but Sony Pictures, what was the original demand? What yeah. was the blackmail for? That's right. What is it that this group was demanding that Sony didn't meet? Now, I'm not saying Sony should have, but we keep kind of skipping the point that, again, you're, and you were kind of jumping into this, the wiper appears to be the end game. There was a lot that happened before this. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. It's it's kind of hard to figure out how to how to cut into this you know this circle here because you're you're, you're absolutely right. The, the the malware itself, and we'll I'll talk a little bit about some of the details of the malware, was allegedly compiled just a couple of days, two days before the attack. And I I am a pretty significant critic of using compile times as as anything because they're pretty easy to fake. But well, you know, let's just take it at face value. I think it's it's probably reasonable that they wouldn't they didn't need very long to propagate malware to to lots of PCs to to you know to per- perpetrate this particular aspect of the attack. However, if it is indeed true that they have stolen dozens and dozens of terabytes of data, that didn't happen in two days. No, and my assumption on this is that. They've been in an active in Sony's network for Sony Pictures network for a very long time, right? And have done extensive recon. And when they went to pull the trigger on this wiper, they knew exactly what they're doing. In fact, there's plenty of uh, folks who have looked at the malware that they were able to get a hands on, and have also indicated that this was very, very targeted, very specific, with full knowledge of the internal infrastructure at Sony Pictures. Absolutely, including usernames and passwords. So to me, that tells me that what we're seeing is the final act. And my assumption, with some educated guesses here, is that clearly there was some sort of initial breach. They went lateral and owned everything in the organization for a long period of time, exfiltrated a ton of data, and we're happily able to push out this wiper. Yeah. And, and by the way, I think this is this is one of the reasons why there, I believe at least, there's been a lot of people 
saying, you know, this is probably an inside job. You know, the, I don't, I don't buy that. And and I think the reason they say that is that it's really hard to imagine someone being embedded in an organization for so long and you know taking out terabytes of data you know without a hard drive <laughs> and well, do, uh, that's yeah that's true but do we know how big in terms of staff Sony Pictures is have you heard that anywhere uh so it's i i believe it's 8 billion dollars in revenue and i believe they have around th- 3 to 4000 employees okay so I mean it's a mid-size yeah. company. It's um, you know, it's not it's not small. It's not over overly huge. Uh, no, but you know if you were looking at a target like this, and let's say you went after I don't know, let's say it got half the boxes in terms of the wiper or, or more, it's really not a huge amount, especially if you've got domain admin privileges. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's a fairly fairly sizable and manageable. Organization probably not incredibly complex. We're not talking about hundreds of thousands of employees here. No, that's a good point. That is a very good point. And uh, it's so, so some of the aspects of the malware, I think, kind of very nicely dovetail into discussions about well, you know, what could, what could you do to prevent it, prevent this? So, um, uh, and, and you know that I think one of the one of the fallacies or one of the traps we fall into is to is to think that you know if if uh if things hadn't worked out exactly this way they would have you know whoever did this attack would have just you know packed up their ball and gone home i i'm not convinced that would have been the case right so if you know if uh if they had segmented their network or if they had used better passwords or if they had you know whatever I, I suspect it would have been an inconvenience, and they probably would have kept poking at it. I don't know that we know enough to say any of that would have been effective. One thing I think we can say is there clearly might have been many opportunities for picking up this activity as they move lateral, laterally yes. around the environment and exfiltrate this data, and all of those were missed. Right. It, but, right. but, you know, the interesting thing, though, is that... It, what you just what you just said is probably the most interesting part, uh, but it's the thing we know the least about, right? You know that because this malware that that nuked their workstations. I mean, hey, it could have come in by a phishing email. So I'll just just kind of you know briefly give you a, a little overview, so you know what we're talking about. This is a it, it's it's kind of a classic wiper, and w- the way it works is. It uses a. Uh, it's pretty. Cl- it's pretty clever technique. There's a. Um, there's a driver called uh, LDOS, and LDOS basically is a user space raw disk driver for Windows, and and so you can, with a process, you can actually map your hard drive and let it'll let you. You basically write and read arbitrary parts of the disk uh, which is pretty cool uh you know you could you would you can think about that being relegated to some obscure kinds of tasks but it works great for viruses who who want to do some damage so um 
So this piece of malware had that driver embedded in it. It had another piece of uh, another open source driver, which allowed it to, you know, effectively modify running processes. Uh, it set up a uh, once once it was once a system was infected, it created a, uh, a a job, basically a service, and ran itself. And you know, what's some of the details we don't have is you know whether this was uh, set to a time. You know, did it create an at job that triggered it? I would assume it did because it sounds like people came in and all the systems were were down more or less at the same time. So. I'm thinking that there may be a little more, a few more technical details than what we were given. Um, but in any event, this this piece of malware uh, first mounted the, um, uh, sorry, first mounted the hard drive, the local hard drive, actually all of the the physical hard drives, and overwrote the master boot record. Then it went through. Each local, uh, sorry, each logical drive that's attached to the system, so including you know network map network drives, and it looked for any file that was not a DLL or an EXE, and it overwrote the contents of that file. So you know if your Word docs, your Excel files, any any you know, tar- really targeting data, did that, and then once it was done with that, it would went through and recursively deleted anything that was not an EXE. Or a DLL, so that's that's not not too awesome. So then it uh, then it starts up a web browser. I'm sorry, not a web browser, a web server, which has the sole purpose of serving up the splash page. It opens a web browser and leaves you with uh, you know with the uh, the awesome splash page with the the now iconic skeleton and the the menacing message. And then uh, two hours later, it reboots and the system is toast. So some some of the other details that have been coming out since then is, and I think Bluecoat has one of the most interesting write-ups about the malware, in my opinion, and and that's that the malware itself, at least one of the samples of malware, contained a text file that had mappings of over 10,000 Sony internal host names to internal IP addresses. And they also found that one of the pieces of malware had a, a, it, it was essentially a worm that propagated via SMB shares. And, you know, that's maybe not that interesting, but w- what is interesting is it used hard-coded user ID and, and passwords for the specific domain, for that domain. So, Whoever it was that did this knew a username and password that would let them, you know, run off and install this uh, piece of malware on all of those systems. So, you know, basically they had the map of systems that needed to be infected. They had the credentials to do the infection and they, you know, they, they essentially hard coded the malware to go off and propagate that way. So, um, awesome. Yeah. Although, at the end of the day, let me put this as as elegantly as I can. A wiper is not that interesting to me compared to the earlier attack and exfiltration of data. No, I, I agree. And you know what Blue Code also says that this piece of malware is not that sophisticated. 
Yeah. It, so, and, and, and I want to come back to that because that's going to stand in stark contrast to something we're going to talk about in a minute, right? Because Blue Coat basically says they didn't pack it. They didn't, they didn't obfuscate it. They didn't do any anti-forensics, any, any anti-analysis techniques. They didn't do anything. And and they they say it's you know it's kind of not that interesting. Yeah, at the end of the day, if you make the call, of, hey, we're going to wipe the workstations. We need it, and we already own it. Write something quick and dirty and get it out there and wipe them. Right. So as you were talking, I happened to be taking a look at the twitters, and this is some late breaking information. Take it with a grain of salt. But USA Today is reporting that an email was posted to GitHub from the Guardians of Peace. And uh, I'll go ahead and just read some of this. It's short, uh, but we are the GOP working all over the world. We know nothing about the threatening email received by Sony staffers, but you should wisely judge by yourself why such things are happening and who is responsible for it. We have already given our clear demand to the management team of Sony. However, they have refused to accept it seems you think everything will be well if you find out the attacker while no reacting to our demand. We are sending you our warning again. Do not carry out our demand if you want to escape us. Oh, sorry. Do carry out our demand if you want to escape us. And stop immediately showing the movies of terrorism which can break the regional peace and cause war. You, Sony FBI, cannot find us. Blah, 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 blah. So... To me, they must be. Well, they must, it appears they're referencing the interview, but that appears to be a secondary demand, right? So, for those who are saying it was all about the interview, if this email is legit and everything else is, you know, believable here, this seems to indicate that there is something else that we don't know. You know, one of the one of the most awesome parts about this these whole kinds of situations is. Number one, the copycat factor, and, right? And number two, one relatively early on, I think it was in the second round of dumps, they, effectively all of uh, the Sony employees' email addresses leaked. Like anybody and their dog could have sent some menacing email to uh, you know to the Sony employees. This is why they need to put out a you know a public PGP key that we can verify. <laughs> you know, there we go. How do we know if we're talking to the real Guardians of Peace? We don't know. <laughs> it's not helpful. That's right. That that's absolutely right. What kind of self-respecting hackers are these people? So that's an interesting uh, interesting development. I don't think it really. Yeah. It changes that much, you know what? It, what well, is interesting though is why one? Why don't they just lay bare what their damn demand is? I would agree. I, it would make this portion of the show go a lot quicker. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah that that is uh, uh, that that's kind of the, the background on the malware that what that impacted the the uh, the PCs again. I brought it up for for a particular reason because it it kind of stands in con- contrast to something that happened. So uh, Recode actually, um, you know, they were they were apparently they're all over this like white on rice, I guess. And uh, they posted a 
what is a, allegedly an internal memo distributed by the uh, CEO of Sony Picture Entertainment, Mr. Linton, and you know it. it I would characterize it as you know a keep your chin up kind of kind of message coming up from the leader. And essentially, he forwarded an email he got from, again, allegedly, Kevin Mandiant, uh, Kevin Mandia, sorry, uh, of Mandiant, now FireEye, who basically... Now, we do, we do know for a fact that Sony Pictures has engaged Mandiant. That's right. That has been reported and confirmed. That's right. So I'll, I'll read, the, uh, read the email. Dear Michael... As our team continues to aid Sony Pictures' response to the recent cyber attack against your employees and operations, I wanted to take a moment to provide you with some initial thoughts on the situation. This attack is unprecedented in nature. The malware was undetectable by industry-standard antivirus software and was damaging and unique enough to cause the FBI to release a flash alert to warn other organizations of this critical threat. In fact, the scope of this attack differs from any we have responded to in the past, as its purpose was to both destroy property and release confidential information to the public. The bottom line is that there was that this was an unparalleled and well-planned crime carried out by an organized group for which neither SPE nor other companies could have been fully prepared. We aggressively respond. We are re- aggressively responding to this incident, and we will continue to coordinate closely with your staff as new facts emerge from our investigations. Sincerely, Kevin Mandia. All right, so that kind of alludes to the fact that this was some super sophisticated attack, and yet, at least the malware that we know about isn't all that sophisticated. Uh, some other people have pointed out that, you know, in the email I, that I just read, you know, they, Kevin says that this is unlike any that he's ever investigated before. But some people have pointed out that, you know, Mandiant wasn't involved in Shamoon or Dark Soul. So. My gut reaction to this is skepticism. I don't doubt that this email. The full email was sent to Sony Pictures employees. We've got a number of confirmations for that. I'm really having trouble understanding why Kevin Mandia would author this email and send it, knowing full well that it likely would would get leaked. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. We're very early in the investigation. I don't know. Some people have pointed out, and I don't necessarily agree with this, but I'm going to repeat it anyway. Some people pointed out that, that Sony Pictures Entertainment paid eight figures for that email. Which, so it was a face-saving email. Which is, you know, a very cynical view. Uh, and and by the way, you know, I, I think it, there's probably a nugget of truth or two in there that, it, you know, it. this is certainly a very targeted attack on Sony. Uh, we, you know, we... If the facts were slightly different, there's no guarantee um, that the, the outcome would be have been any different. Yeah, you know, and if you look at it from Mandiant's position, their worldview could very well be that it is impossible to defend against 
these sorts of target attacks, which is why you need Bandiant. Oh, good point. I don't know. I just I have heard a lot of people taking Kevin Bandiant a task on the Twitters over this email, and that it's hurting his credibility. I, I, I don't know. I don't know that I'm prepared to comment on that one way or the other, but I'm just I'm struggling with the wisdom of sending this email at this point in the investigation because there are some very strong terms in here. Uh, and, you know, if you really look at Kevin Mandia and his team, they're almost like an expert witness at trial. And is this laying the groundwork for showing that it isn't Sony Pictures' fault? I don't know. I, I just, there's just something that strikes me as odd and weird and suddenly off about this entire email exchange. That, I mean, that honestly, that's how I read it. My, my read was trying to put Sony back as the victim and, and not as, you know, a contributing, not as a contributor to the, uh, to, to the issue. Well, one of our articles in our notes talks about some commentary from Sony back in 2006, where they basically were interviewed and talking about making risk-based decisions. And Sony has been slammed for some of their those quotes in there, but I actually think it's a valid position. Did they make the right call? Don't know. But without, I don't know if we want to go fully into that article. We maybe we can do it on the next show. But they are getting sort of slammed with you. You made some wrong calls. But here's the problem with that quarterbacking: is I agree with Sony's position back then when they were saying we have to make decisions every day with a limited set of resources, and we have to make the right call to balance our resources and our risk. And so there is no perfect answer. And we do make decisions that sometimes put ourselves at risk, but we have to accept that risk. I agree with that as a concept and as a principle for an organization. And I think a lot of folks who have never done IT operations or have never run IT security in production, but maybe have done consulting and some other stuff, don't understand that there is a limit of resources and you have to choose your battles, whether you like it or not. Absolutely. And so so I actually had had intended to cover that. And th- this, what, what you just mentioned is a story from CIO and it was dated April 6, 2007. And it was an interview with the uh, somebody, someone named Jason Spaltro, who is the executive director of information security at Sony, Sony Pictures Entertainment. And at the time, PCI and Sarbanes-Oxley was like all of the rage in the InfoSec world. And that was that was what everybody was focusing on. We were still grousing about Sarbanes-Oxley and PCI was brand new and and, and whatnot. So um, he... He kind of, I, I think, was trying to be pretty contrarian and controversial in his comments, and, and you know, basically saying, "Hey, you know, we we have a business to run. We've got to make decisions. We just can't blindly accept what auditors say." For the record, just so everybody knows, this article is from two thousand and seven that yeah. we're talking about, and and the the title is "Your Guide to Good Enough Compliance." That's right. So just. You know, this is a seven-year-old article. <laughs> seven-year-old article, that's right. But but it is, you know, you can kind of see echoes of some of the commentary they make in this article, Jason makes in this article, where he talks about 
password security. You know, one, one of the, the their Sarbanes audit, Sarbanes Oxley auditor said, you know, you would never make you would never make it as a bank. And he may, he re, he re, rebuts back with, well, you know, a bank would never make it as a you know as a, as a motion picture company, which you know is is true. And he makes the point that uh, you know, I think that particular exchange was about the the weakness or or lack of complexity that Sony Pictures requires for passwords. And his his point was, you know, do we want people to uh, you know to to write their passwords down? And you know, obviously, the answer to that is no. So we're going to let them use you know nouns basically as their as their password and you know it, it, it kind of that that kind of thought process permeates the the discussion and again i'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong what i will say and what i do have a problem with is and i think this is very common across every you know, i think this is pervasive everywhere and that is making risk based decisions when we don't understand what's at risk. Yeah. It's a long, long article. And there was something that I pulled out of it from later in the article that I really, really liked and I wanted to take a minute to quote. And it was talking about, in essence, there are no absolutes with, with compliance and sometimes you need to have a middle ground. And there are times that they were talking in this particular instance about granting access to uh, data for continuity of care in a healthcare environment, although that person didn't technically need the access to that data. Um, but here's the thing that I really liked, and I'm quoting directly. Quote, CIOs should document the discussions and highlight the main points of why the decision was made to allow access to certain data. That way you can explain your reasoning to state and federal regulators when they come knocking on your door if data is lost or leaks. A clearly worded argument backing up a decision may help convince regulators that you've thought about the risks, you've thought about how to mitigate them, and you took compliance with the law into consideration. Now, I'm not saying I like this specifically because of the defense from an auditor standpoint. I like it because it shows why decisions were being made. It shows the reasoning behind a particular risk stance that was taken, and it starts to avoid the tribal mentality of, well, it's always been done that way, we're not sure why we do it that way. I really like the concept of documenting the thought process and the reasoning behind the various security trade-offs and compromises that are made in an organization so you can re-examine on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah and I, I'll, I'll tell you, it also has an interesting... Uh, benefit when you are in, locked in an engagement with, you know, government examiners or auditors, and that is that you're now not you're not talking about some nebulous missing control. You're actually debating, uh, you know, the the auditor, regulator, whoever is now trying to second guess your you know, your assessment of the risk, which is a which is an entirely different position to be in and it's a much better position to be in honestly because now you're you know now it's reasonable people disagreeing about you know about uh, the the assessment of a particular risk situation so i think that's a that's a really good point um but i i i it it really troubles me and i i see this a lot you know having having worked in a lot of breach 
kinds of, of especially complicated breach kinds of situations, I, I'll tell you that one of the fundamental things that underpins most of them is accepting risk, but not actually understanding what they were accepting, right? So, you know, and in particular, not understanding what they're accepting in the, in, in the bigger picture. And so it's very easy to kind of incrementally think about risks. You know, we, you know, we want to, we want to do X and over somewhere else in the business, we want to do Y. There's not very rarely a consideration of, well, how are X and Y going to relate to each other so that, you know, something really bad can happen? Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with your point. One I like to point out a lot is people say you need to encrypt your data. Okay, great. You've got data at risk on a, on a database server. You just encrypted it. What did that actually do for you? Well, it's encrypted. Okay. How does that data encrypt and decrypt? Well, it's automatic when you come in and out of the application. Okay. So what is your risk profile and what's your risk vector most likely to be to get to that data? Do you think somebody's going to sneak in and steal that hard drive? Because that's what that encryption is actually protecting you against. Yeah, exactly. No, they're likely to come over the network as a normal, legitimate, authorized user would, and your application will happily, kindly, and helpfully decrypt that data for them. So your problem is not one fixed by encryption. Your problem is fixed by proper user rights management and auditing who's doing what. Yep, that's right. But people don't get that. And, and especially compliance makes it really tough because it says you must encrypt the data. I would challenge anyone if you want to do security properly, ask yourself why, what is the goal behind this particular compliance mandate? What are they really trying to do? What is the, you know, the, the control behind the control we're talking about here? And then strive for that. That's a good point. Anyway, just... You were, you were stealing so much airtime, I had to you know, say something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other thing that, that has occurred to me through this whole thing and th- and I know this from personal experiences, uh, you know that I now have a new rule of thumb for IT operations. Imagine how the press will react when your work is leaked to the world. Absolutely. Because <laughs> right now, all of Sony's IT operations have been leaked, and they're getting absolutely vilified by the IT press and the security press. Not saying it's right, wrong, different. But when you're doing stuff like naming servers and whatnot... Try not to be too cute because you never know when that might all leak to the world. Yeah, you, you, it does pay to be professional, and you know, not at the end of the day, you never know. It, it may not be in a breach; it could be in a lawsuit, or, yeah. or you know, or, or, or you don't know, right? Be professional. We are we are professionals. Let's <laughs> let's. Damn it, let's be professional. Maybe we're not professional on this show, but, you know. <laughs> Without I, going into a lot of detail, I have one more story about this, that I had to talk to a lawyer about a situation. It doesn't matter what the situation was. We were talking about a server name. The server was not necessarily under the control of IT. And the server name had a four-letter word that perhaps would refer to human excrement, followed by brick. I'll let you fill it together. And I cannot tell you how uncomfortable that deposition was. 
So, folks, don't do that. <laughs> be be professional. <laughs> you want to do that at home? Rock on. You never know when that lab box you think is never going to see the light of day is suddenly being talked about by a whole bunch of people. Yeah, be, be professional, people. <laughs> so, you never know when something like this is going to get splayed out over the entire world to see. And you just have to remember somehow, some way, somebody might find out about this. But anyway, that's just that's just my getting late on a Monday, random thought process, rambling. Yeah, you know, at the same time though, we you know we can't we can't fully tune our uh, you know uh, our actions to what we think might how it might be interpreted externally. But but True. I think there's you know I, I think there's a there's a balance in there somewhere somewhere and you know. What what remains to be seen, by the way, is whether this this thing with Sony is this like you know a one and done, or is this going to become a thing? You know, are we going to now start seeing copycats, whether it's the same group or a different group? You know, are we going to start seeing grievances settled this way? Are we going to start seeing world wars fought with pirated movies? You know what? What is the next step? Because, you know, that could have an interesting, uh, you know, change in, in, uh, in how, we, how we run IT and IT security. Um, I, I will tell you that I think this Sony thing is going to be causing a whole lot of really interesting discussions amongst the executives and, and board levels. You know, probably, uh, I would, I dare say, as much as the Snowden debacle did so last week before we knew as much as we know now we had debated if this was an existential threat to sony pictures yep i had said no i still say no what say you i don't think it is i think uh you know i I think they'll they'll continue on you know but but let me let me just back you know, step back just a second. What I've come to understand is that Sony Pictures has been struggling anyway. I mean, they're not, they're not like some, you know, really rock star uh, movie production house. They, as I understand it, they've not been, you know, they've not been great. And in fact, some of the emails that have been leaked are uh, really unfortunate, you know, talking about how, uh, you know, how their movies are, I don't I'm, I'm probably mischaracterizing it, right? But basically bland and predictable and things like that. And, and uh, you know, there was some crit- criticism about not capitalizing on Spider-Man and lots of things like that. So, you know, I, if, if, they are, if, if they are going to fold, I think it's probably not simply a matter of this. You know, there, there, there's probably other factors, you know, business-related factors that... that are, are probably going to be in play. So um, I don't think this by itself is, is going to be the nail that does them in, but you know, I'm not saying that they won't, but you know, Hey, you know, by the way, Sony's a huge, as we've already talked about, Sony's a giant company. You know, we don't have any concept about, you know, if, if uh, Sony pictures started to implode with the bigger, you know, the big Sony in Japan kind of swoop in and save the day. We, we don't know, right? I mean, this, Companies do all kinds of crazy things that you won't, you might not expect. So I you know I wouldn't count them out. I guess that's that's where I'll stand. Yeah, and 
to be fair, we don't know if other similarly sized movie publishers have similar emails floating around their organization. Uh, great point. Great point. Because we don't know what the freaking we, we don't know what demand no was. was. Yeah. Right. We, we don't know what... We're viewing one instance. We have one data point. Right. And once you see how the dog food is made, it can be ugly. We've seen... I mean, I've seen that working at so many different organizations that once you get on the inside, you're like, wow, that's... Wow. <laughs> you know, it's, it can be ugly. So, so what do you think about how do you how do you protect against this? I mean, I, given what we know, right? We don't. Yeah, given I, what we know, we know so little. I, I, the only thing I can go back to is something we were talking about earlier, which was the exfiltration and the lateral movement. There had to have been opportunities to catch that with proper monitoring tools, anomaly detection tools. I don't know enough about their network to say precisely, but data access monitoring, log monitoring. Clearly, these guys left footprints. They wiped most of them, probably. But <laughs> um, we—that's the only thing I can really go to, without knowing more. I really hope we know more. The wiper itself, at the endpoints, I don't know. Maybe maybe whitelisting technology probably would have stopped it. Yep. I, I don't know enough about their particular builds, their laptops, what they got running on them. Obviously, AV didn't. That's no surprise. We've known that for a long time. Uh, so it, it all depended on how the initial malware got there. Uh, SMB file share is right, but you know what executed it, what ran it, what you know, probably go to probably would have been uh, whitelisting technology. However, that again is the minor issue. The wiping is not what scares me about this. It's all the data exfiltration, and that's something we just don't know enough about. And that's what I think is much more dangerous. Well, I agree, and we, unfortunately, we, as you've already said, we don't know much about how the how the data exfiltration was perpetrated. But focusing, I I, I do want to focus on the, the 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 wiper malware because it has happened a couple of times now. You know, we've we've had a couple of, I mean, recently, right? The interesting thing is all the young pups these days think, oh my god, this is so cool. I mean, this was this is how it was done a long, a long time ago. You wipe yeah. you wipe the computer. You didn't you know you didn't uh, you didn't do click jacking and all you know Bitcoin mining and all that crap. You, you know, back when I was a kid, you know, we deleted the PCs. We we nuked the hard drives. We didn't. You also rode a dinosaur to work, but well, I know, I know. God, I'm getting old. But but well, anyway, to, to that point. It goes back to the assumption that we always need to make, which is hard drives could crash. So are you doing some sort of backup? Do you have Carbonite? Do you have, you know, et cetera type corporate backup systems? Do you let people store sensitive data only on their laptops that could die or be stolen at any point? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Absolutely. Now, the I think there is a bit of a difference in, you know, you don't usually see your entire fleet of hard drives die on the same morning. Um, no, that I think officially is a bad day. That, yes, that is a bad day for the help desk. Um, but it is, uh, you know, so, so kind of un, unwinding a little bit. One of the things I would say is this, this in, in some respects fits into a business continuity 
problem, right? And there are a lot of companies that Sun SunTrust or not SunTrust, that's a bank, SunGuard. Uh, as an example, you can contract with them to you know to have X number of workstations available you know on demand at a at a location near you. So you know if your uh, your building goes up in smoke or you you get a wiper virus, you can you can send everybody. Obviously, it's not that easy. Nothing ever is, but you can you can uh, you you can pick up the pieces a little bit more quickly because otherwise you know you're. You're either reimaging lots of systems, or you're ordering new systems, or, or something like that. So, so that's an option. Virtual desktops. For, yep, absolutely. Um, you know, thinking about this particular piece of malware, I think you were right that, uh, you know, I I always like, I always like to, and maybe this is something that is useful to everybody listening too. I always like to to read these reports, whether it's whether it's this, you know, Destrover. Or it was the cleaver, or or you know whatever you're talking about. I always like to try to play it out. What would stop it? What would have caught it? What would have stopped it? How would we have, you know, how would I design things if I were king to to prevent that? And I absolutely think whitelisting would have helped. You know, we know that whitelisting is not infallible, so it's conceivable they could have worked around it if they were really determined. But you know, certainly that would have raised the bar a whole bunch. Another one is that this was a worm. It relied almost exclusively, as far as we can tell, on the ability of all their workstations to talk to all their other workstations. <laughs> Nineteen ninety-eight calls. <laughs> maybe, maybe network segmentation would be a help here. Yeah, absolutely. In general, call me crazy. I don't see a need for workstations to necessarily talk to other workstations. Absolutely agree. If you have good, solid file shares set up already that are easy to use, right? You know, people just want to share stuff back and forth. I would say the vast majority of companies, especially the size, have probably never even thought about that. It probably is not even a consideration. They're just like, well, put them on the network, let them go, have a nice day, right? What about? A software-defined VLAN for each individual. Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. But, hey, you know, that's that, that's an idea, I guess. You know, the other day somebody asked me. They wanted a firewall that would automatically reconfigure its rule base based on software-defined networking calls coming from their SDN environment. <laughs> uh, uh, no. That's all I could say. You know, I know we laugh at it now, but I wonder. Oh, it's it, coming! It's yeah. absolutely coming, but it completely breaks the point of a firewall. Five years from now, we'll be like, "What the hell were we thinking?" Yeah, well, that's <laughs> why that's were we laughing? Well, that's convenience far outstripping security, right? And it's the concept is you're now trusting the network infrastructure management suite to make your security calls as well as your network infrastructure calls. I, I absolutely believe it will happen because of the convenience factor, but man, it's just a bad idea. Anyway, completely off topic. No, no worries. Um, yeah, segmentation, turning off random file shares, SMB shares. I mean, what did the worm propagate as? Just a normal user? Do we know that? They, uh, they, 
obscured anonymous even <laughs> no they obscured that it 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 um it propagated using a hard coded username and password it's so kind. it could have been a domain admin. It, yeah, that was where I was going. It, it so it could have been just going to C shares. Yeah. So turning off, and if that's the case, everybody has to talk to a file server. Sorry, not a file server, but a domain controller. And it could just as easily bounce the domain controller to everybody. Domain controllers, if you're segmented. Right. I don't know, man. I, we need more info. <laughs> we don't have it. We have to pretend. Well, I think you have to go back to securing the endpoint better. And and a positive security model is the only thing I can think of right off the top of my head. Yeah. You know, I, an- another thing that I... Um, we talked about this, God, it's over a year ago. There was some best practices guide, and I think it came from a group in Japan about how to configure your workstations in, mm-hmm. in an Active Directory environment so that you minimize the the risk to the endpoints if you're you know if a domain admin or you know anyway it was there was um, I'll have to see if I can dig out that best practice guide again but I you know I bet something like that if you rearrange the permissions a bit I don't know maybe if if it's Domain admin, I think you're always screwed. But um, you know, but then you go back to making sure you have good control over domain admin. Yes, exactly. Activity, exactly. You know, you if you tighten down the the crown jewels and then monitor hell out of the crown jewels, it, it really raises the bar. Yeah, and I think I think the way a lot of organizations get around that a little bit, or, or I said that wrong. I think the way that document got around it was by recommending essentially that nobody uses active or sorry nobody that uses domain admin accounts they use yeah. they use uh, other purpose built accounts that have sp- very specific rights and well, well we saw that same concept talked about at derbycon yes yeah that's right yep anyway anyhow i think uh, i think we uh, we may have kicked this one Take the beauty to the ground. Yeah, yeah. More as events unfold. That's right. I'm sure we will know more next week. Um, by the way, uh, next week actually is uh, when we are doing a, a podcast mashup with um, breaking down security. So I, it's not clear to me if we may release a second episode too. I, I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll we'll figure that out. You either get, you'll sick. get at least one episode out of us tomor- uh, next week. So it depends how sick of each other we are. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so anyhow, uh, we, as always, appreciate everyone's time. Thank you very much. And uh, uh, as usual, if you have any thoughts or opinions, send us an email to info at defensivesecurity.org. You can find the show notes and links to all the stories we talk about on our website, www.defensivesecurity.org. You can follow the show on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can follow Mr. Kellett on Twitter at Lurg. And by the way, he needs more followers. Come on. Do something for him. <laughs> and I'm tired of hearing the whining. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at MaliciousLink. And with that, we will... Uh, I'm going to hear about it now. Oh, uh, uh, boy. You know, I just... I just never thought there'd be a day where you had more Twitter followers than I did. I just, I wasn't prepared for that. 
yep. Anyhow, thanks a lot. <laughs> Take care. Talk to you again next have, week. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye-bye. Why do you hate me? Why? 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 Well, let me let me count the ways. And I had lawyers asking me about the box name Shitbrick. I'm like, oh, this is comfortable. So we lied. I think lying is such a strong word. We expanded the bounds of the truth. I'll be back for your payroll. <laughs>